Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Father, it is my best prayer that you would shape me and shape us so that we can be reliable representatives and reliable testimonies, tangible testimonies of your work in the kingdom that is now and not yet. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So yeah, uh, when we got here this morning, we checked on a lot of things, and you should know that there are four heaters that warm this room. And according to our website, which tells us these things, uh, three of them are not working. Is this a good time to talk to you about fundraising at the end of the year or not? Is this a good time? <laughs> JR, is this a good time to have that discussion or not? We are, have a similar mountain to climb as we did last year, and I always let it affect my enjoyment of the holiday season. But you know what? Um, I've been here 33 years, and we've made it somewhere around 32 times. So thank you for your faithfulness. We do. We have a a big mountain to climb, but uh, it is a gratifying thing to be a part of this community of faith and to watch as this community of faith answers the call. And goodness gracious, we have a call to answer this morning in this text. Good night. It, it It is a terrifying passage of scripture, right? And it's not only the end of our uncomfortable kingdom sermon series, this is going to be plenty uncomfortable, but it's also the end of a year-long pursuit of Jesus. With the exception of special speakers, and there's only been two of those, we have spent 50 weeks, an entire year preaching the gospel texts to try to explore the ramifications of this Jesus character. And, and just for some of you theology nerds out there, let me, let me, let's have some fun for a second, right? We have explored high Christology. High Christology, which is the exploration of how it is that this Jesus is fully God. God made flesh, the word present at the beginning of all creation. So in other words, what we're saying here when we have the discussion of high Christology, and we have done this a lot, we used even images from the Webb telescope. I don't know if you remember that. That was way back when. We said, hey, when you look into perhaps the scarred face of this very human Jesus, you are looking into the very face of God. High Christology helps us to have those conversations. We have also explored low Christology. That is not a value judgment. That is just another way of talking about this Jesus. The Christ, the Christ who is also very human. Human. So not only is this Jesus fully God, but this Jesus, we also believe, and this is crucially important today, maybe maybe no more important than the discussion we're going to have on this day. It is very important that we recognize that this Jesus is also fully, fully human, complete with every physiological challenge that any of us might have, which would include, but it's not limited to, scrapes, bruises, halitosis, I don't think about it, anxiety, perhaps even depression, stomach issues this Jesus had, perhaps even what they would not have known at the time was athlete's foot. 
Jesus, Jesus is like you and me. Low Christology allows us to communicate that God in Christ has come all the way to us, all the way to us, all the way to places where people like us hurt and ache and rage and cry and bleed and die. This Jesus is that, can I say, normal, while also being that divine. The Christ present at the birthplace of all of creation is the Christ who wept at the loss of Lazarus. The Christ who had such anxiety in the garden about all that was coming, such dread that it would actually sweat blood. In other words, the word, the word present at the beginning knows what it means to hurt like you and I hurt knows what it means to be in need. Now, that's a crucial phrase right this morning. Knows what it means to be in need because that's where the kingdom happens, where people are in need. Some of you, starting right now, will not like the rest of the sermon. Don't say amen. <laughs> there are places where I really want you to say amen, and other places I prefer you not. But the kingdom begins where people are in need. What kind of needs? Yes, all of them. The kingdom of Christ begins. You can see it bubble to the surface where people are in need, in the margins. Because this is not your usual kingdom, and can we admit, this might be a great place for an amen, that this Jesus isn't your usual king. Weak, weak. As kingdom citizens, you guys, we are asked to follow where this king leads. I don't know how popular Jesus would be if he were walking the streets today. I don't know how popular this Jesus would be in churches. Can we think about that for a second? I am, I am not sure how well regarded or accepted this Jesus, who is the king of the margins, Anybody else like that? I think that, I'm, maybe there's another t-shirt here. Jesus, the king of the margins. Would this Jesus be accepted in churches that so often seem like they are another place to measure success against other people? That Jesus, the king of the margins, wants you, friends, in the margins, where the people are in need. So here is the very difficult question I have to ask us today. Are you following Jesus into the margins? Maybe you're in the margins. Are we following Jesus directly to the places where people hurt and ache and rage and cry and bleed and die. We don't, we don't talk very much around here about Judgment Day. I'm not that kind of guy. We will not be hosting a hell house on Halloween ever. Other churches have already got that part wrapped up. We will not be doing any of that. I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. I, I also, uh, I'm not going to avoid when Scripture hands me a passage of Scripture. And Scripture has handed me one about Judgment Day today. 
Scripture is handing me a passage of Scripture that seems to indicate who gets in and who doesn't. It also, as we're going to work through it painstakingly here in a second, it also seems to indicate that some think they're in when they're out, and some think they're out when they're in. Is anybody else unnerved yet? (laughs) You ought to be. You ought to be. What happens when we don't follow Christ in the margins? That question has several answers, so let's, let's consider all of them. What happens to the people in the margins when we don't follow Christ into the margins? Well, hopefully somebody goes in the margins and meets people at the place of need. Hopefully somebody does. Sometimes it doesn't happen. People die of starvation. In, in Oklahoma, people die of starvation. People die of addiction. In Oklahoma, do I, do I need to remind us that here in Oklahoma, Let's make it more personal. Here in Oklahoma City, we have more churches than gas stations. No one should die on our streets in need. Amen? And if they do, in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, in fact, it's the middle jewel of the belt buckle of the Bible belt, it's on church people. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. So glad that you're here. (laughs) with us today. What happens when we don't follow Jesus? On Reign of Christ Sunday, that is the question we are meant to ask. What does it mean to follow our king? By the way, Chesney, perfect song selections today. Perfect. Perfect. All of them had to do with the sovereignty of this Jesus character, the the kingship of this Jesus character. And all of it should ask be causing us to ask ourselves, am I following the right king? And if I am, where is this king taking me? And I can give the short answer, it is always into the margins, always. This king is always leading you into the margins. The question is whether or not you're actually following into the margins, and now we gotta talk about what happens if you don't. If we don't, if I don't. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations, all the different people of all different shapes and sizes and stripes will be gathered before him. Good grief, look at this, it's in the Bible. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will, be put, he will put the sheep to his, at his right hand and the goats at his left. We much prefer Buddy Jesus. Everybody remember that picture I like to put up there, Buddy Jesus? He's winking at you. He's got the big thumb up like, yeah, I kind of like everything about you. That's true. I don't know if you've heard this yet today, but God's mind about you is made up, and the news is good. And, no but, no comma, but, comma, and you have been given a gift of grace. If you choose to walk away from this grace, Please know that while God's mind about you is made up, you have every opportunity and freedom to walk into oncoming traffic of judgment. And know that this passage of Scripture was not written for the unbelieving community. It was written for the believing community. Picking up in verse 34. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, be present with me 
You that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty. Don't spiritualize these words. You know what hunger and thirst mean here? They mean hungry and thirsty. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous, the righteous, the rightly related. Righteous means rightly connected, rightly related. The righteous will say, I don't remember this, Lord. I don't remember seeing you. I don't remember serving someone, you know, long hair, beard, mustache, magnificent, flowing white robe. I don't remember seeing you. When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? Guys, pay attention to this. And the king will answer him. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Now what are we saying here? Is Jesus, is Jesus like wearing a disguise in a way that I think it's unfair that a lot of these highway patrol cars now just look like Mustangs? Seems unfair. There's no lights, there's no markings. That seems wrong to me. Is Jesus just kind of doing this thing? Or, or is Jesus saying, there is something of me, says Jesus, in every one of you? Is Jesus saying, to love me, says Jesus, is to love the people made in my image? There is a real sense in which every time you feed someone, who may look nothing like Jesus. There's a real sense in which you are honoring the reality that that person is made in the image of God, as are you. And every time you feed someone, you nourish and protect and encourage life. When you love a person, you are loving God. Man, I'm a little bit of a mess whether I'm watching it on the stage or watching it on the screen, but Les Miserables gets me every time at the very end to love another person is to touch the face of God. When you love another person, whether you know it or not or are doing it for these reasons or not, you are loving God. Now what's cool about these people is they don't seem to be doing these good things for any other reason than that they see people who are hungry and thirsty and without clothes and sick or in prison. They didn't know when they were doing these things that they were somehow securing the opportunity to be in companionship with God for eternity. I like those people. (laughs) I struggle with people who do Christian things for self-oriented reasons. Those are the same people who will say, I don't like you, but I gotta love you. That's always bothered me. If I wanna go to heaven, I gotta love you, but I don't like you. Yeah, that misses the point. That's what a goat would say, frankly, and not the good kind. (laughs) No, it's a good thing to love people because they're people. It's a good thing, it's the best thing to feed hungry people. Why? Because God wants me to? No, because they're hungry. 
That's actually what God wants. God wants you to love people enough to feed them because they're hungry. If, if you feel like you are punching your ticket by doing the right thing here and there, oh, man, I have terrible news for you. You aren't punching your ticket. Your ticket is not punched. And by the way, I am not sure that this is just about some great future date. I mean, let's, let's keep going here. Verse 41, then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, ugh, Jesus, baby Jesus, this does not sound like baby Jesus speaking here, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Jesus. What in the world would motivate this kind of ugly language? But Jesus is angry, y'all. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. Naked and you didn't give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you didn't care. I am not sure that the state of Oklahoma cares about prisoners. Anybody else? Amen? That's a problem for a Christian state. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it? I don't ever remember driving past a person that looked like you because, Jesus, if I had just been able to tell that it was you, you know, beard, mustache, long hair, flowing white robe and everything, if I had just known it was you, I promise I would have stopped to give you something to drink. I promise I would have visited you. Why would you have been in prison? I don't know, but I would have come to visit you, Jesus. When was it that we saw you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, if you haven't loved people, you haven't loved me. And by the way, if you haven't loved the people on the margins, you haven't loved me. You know, Jesus lives on the margins, in the margins. The people on the margins are Jesus' neighbors. So here again, now maybe it's been the influence of, of literature, literature that plays out on screens before us, literature in books. I think we have all somehow located Judgment Day somehow far off into the future. I'm not sure that that's true. This passage of scripture seems to indicate that Christ is already king. Friends, Christ is already king. In other words, in other words, I think this Judgment Day happens every day. Every moment that the people of God, the people at whom this passage is directed, every day that the people of God deny God by not loving the people on the margins, that day for you, Christian, is judgment day. For better or for worse. It does feel like at times It does feel like at times that we have so pushed the concept of eternity out into the future that we forget that eternity has come rushing into the present along with us. I can show you hell on earth if you want to get in the car with me and go with me. And by that I mean separation from God. 
You can find separation from God even now. Do I believe in an eternal separation from God? Absolutely. I just don't, don't think you have to die to get there. I think it can begin now. Also, I think you can find companionship with God. Your eternal companionship with God can also start today. Everybody get that? The future reaches into the present when you're a part of this kingdom that is both now and not yet. We're not waiting for a day when Jesus will be king of all of the earth. We are celebrating today that Jesus is king of all the earth. And all God's people need to say a really good, strong, much better. Thank you. So why don't we do it? Why has Christianity in so many different corners of churches, but also corners of, of social media, why has Christianity been reduced to the articulation of certain beliefs as opposed to the embodiment of those beliefs when you're offline? Why have we flown in the face of a passage like this? Let's listen to one of this. This is a quote that I saw. A guy by the name of John Buchanan said this this week. Dr. Tashin helped me found this. There is nothing in this speech about ecclesiastical connections or religious practices. There is not a word in this passage about the theology, the creeds, or the orthodoxies. There is only one criterion here, and that it is whether or not you saw Jesus in the face of the needy and whether or not you gave yourself away in love in his name. That is the singular criterion of whether or not you are still in this kingdom movement. But John, perhaps you've missed it, I have articulated my firm beliefs online on Facebook very well. Have you not seen that? Have you not seen, I am a champion culture warrior on the Facebooks? Have you not seen, and listen, let me, let me say this, I think you can take up a good cause on Facebook, but it really only matters if your body matches your words. I mean, post all you want. I don't think God cares if you're not matching it with your body. And that's on either side of any of these ugly debates. Matthew seems to prioritize service to others over mere words or thoughts about faith. He even says it earlier. Not everyone who says to me in chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus' response to this person is, I don't think I know you. So why do people meant to be sheep act like goats? Why is it that we don't care? It's been my privilege to teach a class over the years in the psych department over at SNU. I've actually co-taught it with the likes of Ron Wright and, and now Paul Jones. Great, great people. And a few of you in this room have been through this class. And in this class, we are, are, are really excited by a particular author. He has been here before. We read many of his books. We do, seems like every summer, read a book by Richard Beck. Richard Beck is going to try to help me answer the question today, why do we not care more often? Why have we opted for statements of belief, belief at a safe distance from all of the ugliness of the margins?
Richard Beck would say it's because we're afraid to die. Now let me see if I can unpack this a little bit for us. Richard Beck would say, man, all people, and sometimes more than the other people, Christians fear death. They fear death, and so they try to push away from themselves any indication, any expression of anything dead or deathly. He quotes another guy by the name of McGill who says this, the American ethic is for people to create a living where death seems abnormal and accidental. Americans create a living world where life is so full, so secure, and so rich with possibilities that it gives no hint of death or deprivation. I, I do think he's onto something there. If you, you don't have to travel very far to see that some of our older, older churches had cemeteries right there in the yard of the church, right? Now where are they? Comes far enough away they won't have to drive by them all the time. I mean, think about it. Think about it. I, I don't think you're abnormal. I don't think I'm abnormal to want to shield myself from what Beck would call death reminders. But here's the problem. The reason we do that is because we, we don't want to think about any of that stuff. And when we don't want to think about any of that stuff, we push away from us folks who are deteriorating, folks who are perhaps elderly, folks who are probably hurt or infirm somehow, folks who are suffering somehow. And it's partially it's because we don't want to actually have the thought that we too might be temporary. Do you know that you're temporary? Do you know that your calling is not to be immortal and to have no needs, but your calling is to come alongside people who do? The best way to come alongside people who do have great needs is to recognize that you yourself are a person in need. You and I are needy people. Needy people actually are best at helping needy people. Immortals don't do great at helping people. Beck says, honestly embracing your need is critical for a life of mercy. As we observe with the Pharisees, blindness to our need also blinds us to the need in others. It's a matter of empathy, compassion, and solidarity. Never experiencing poverty, we fail to understand why the poor people, those people in wealth, just don't go out there and get a job. God help us. And it is within the giving and receiving of this fellowship of neediness, if we have the stomach for it, this is where the life and the love of God is fully expressed and experienced. Remember, I went to great lengths to tell you that this God in Christ is the one who comes all the way to where the broken people are, and you are somehow broken. And imagine trying to say to the God who has spanned all of that distance to come to you in your place of need, in the place where you cry and hurt and bleed and ache, imagine saying to the God in Christ who has come all the way to you, imagine saying to this God, I'm good, I think I'm immortal. In this, the life of the Trinity creates the life of the church, or rather, and I love this line, the life of the church participates in the life of the triune God. It's a God is a loving relationship, but none of this can happen 
while we are stuck in the clutches of a denial of death, pushing away all reminders of decay and biological need, disgust and contempt prevent us from recognizing and embracing the need, the vulnerability, the death and decay that actually exists within our own lives. Because despite appearances and protestations to the contrary, we are not fine. <laughs> and by admitting as much as we embrace without disgust or disdain our fragile and shared humanity, we embrace neediness as the only route available to us if we are to be a people of grace, mercy, and love. In other words, Sometimes you don't hurt the person in a deathly circumstance because you're afraid to unearth the reality that you too are temporary, that you too have needs, that you too someday will be on the receiving end. Death avoidance. But I don't think death avoidance, and guys, we're going we're to take a shot at this video. Are we, do we have a shot? Okay, we have a shot. We've had, in addition to HVAC demons today, we seem to have had some other technological demons, foul demons, that we have not been able to pray out. But I'm glad Doug Forsberg is here. He's going to help us pray out all of these. I, I don't think this death avoidance thing is inevitable or even natural. I think it's learned behavior. I'm going to show you a video. It's a shorter video, and if, uh, if this doesn't work, I'll post it. I, kid's name is Matt Woodrum. Born prematurely, born with cerebral palsy. Matt Woodrum, at the age of 11, decided he really wanted to participate in his school's track and field day with palsy. Want to run the 400, which is a difficult race in and of itself. Amen? It's a hard race. He just wanted to do it, though. But I want you to watch, if we're able to get this, this video to work, I want you to watch, yes, watch how he attacks the race. It's, it's inspiring. But I also want you to watch the reaction of the children around him. I think this death avoidance thing is learned behavior. I, I think... When Jesus says the faith of a child, childlike faith, I think this is the kind of stuff that Jesus has in mind. The faith that you had before the world taught you to fear death like you do. Okay guys, let's give this a shot. The race at one elementary school that really moved us. A little boy so determined to stay in the race, even when it looked like he couldn't make it any further. Timers, I'm gonna just say go, you ready? It was race day at Colonial Hills Elementary School near Columbus, Ohio. Go. They were off, and right there at the back of the pack, 11-year-old Matt Woodrum determined to run with the rest of the class. Go, Matty! But it wasn't long before Matt was trailing a bit. He had cerebral palsy and was told he didn't have to run that race, that he could sit it out. But Matt wanted it. Making his way around that track, his proud mom videotaping the whole thing. Suddenly, Matt starts to slow down, starts to struggle. And watch the left corner of your screen. Right there, that's gym teacher John Blaine walking toward Matt on the field. Soon, some gentle coaching right by his side. Come on, buddy! That gym teacher would stay right there the rest of the race, and then something else. Suddenly, his classmates begin to notice, and one by one, 
They start making their way toward Matt too. The crowd swelling beside him, and so does their chant. Matt rounding that final bend, his entire class in tow, every step of the way, then his rally. Teachers watching at the end, the cheers at the finish line. He did it. Afterward, his mother could hardly find him in the midst of all of his fans. A high five there and a hug. That race now going viral on the internet, and Matt told me just today on the phone what that moment was like when that entire class was behind him. It was tiring, but it really helped when my classmates and my coach and everybody swarmed me. It was really encouraging. Mom, who was there taping it all, and Dad, who saw it later, both so proud tonight. I couldn't have been more proud of my son. It was very heartwarming. Dad proud, and so are we. And in fact, Matt told me if he had to race all again tomorrow, he would do it for sure. 808,000 hits now on that video on the internet. Man. Christianity is not you figuring out these deep and historical, ancient theological practices that allow you to finish first. Christianity is you helping somebody else to finish. That's what a sheep is. Does everybody recognize that when we come around this table, and go ahead and we can get this organized. Does everybody recognize that everywhere communion is taken, every week here, every week in several other churches, periodically in churches beyond that, but every time we make mention of the fact that this isn't the immortal Christ. <laughs> it is, but we talk about what? Broken body and shed blood. Why is it so important that we talk about broken body and shed blood every time we gather around this table? It's because you need to know that the kingdom, the kingdom is built not out of some sense of unfeeling immortality, the kingdom is birthed in love. Love expressed to those in and on the margins. Friends, when we gather on this table, it is to be reminded time and time and again, time and again, time and again, that God in Christ comes all the way to the places where you hurt and ache and rage and bleed and die, broken body and shed blood. That's why there's hope. That's why there's hope. And hopefully, you will eat enough of this bread to somehow think that perhaps you are becoming the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and giving to come alongside the person that just needs a little bit of help to finish. So Father, bless these elements. It's bread and it's cup, but God, we understand these as broken body and shed blood. Reminders of how it is that you have come in your grace all the way to where we find ourselves in places of anguish, anxiety, hurt, death. So bless these elements and with them, God, remind us 
that you are with us, that you are a companion, that you are eternally present. Remind us also and resource us then, God, to be present with others around us who may need help to finish. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. All of you who are willing, by the way, all are invited, but none are compelled. If you would like to sit this out, it is always your choice, your prerogative. You are all invited to participate, but no one is forced to participate. If you do choose to participate, if you would, exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts. And I mean they are gifts, reminders that God has spanned the distance to get all the way to where you are, where people like you hurt. If you would, come to the person holding a plate of bread. As you get close enough, someone will place a piece of bread into your cupped hands. Please come with cupped hands because that's how you receive grace. You don't grab it, snatch it, buy it. You can't charge it. It is coming to you as a gift today. When that person presses that bread into your hands, she will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup when you do. Lauren here will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Broken body, shed blood, the God who bleeds. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you're there for a prayer for healing, and somebody will meet you over here and pray that prayer for physical, mental, emotional, familial healing. If you come to one of these mourner's benches up, up here, we won't assume anything, but at some point, someone, perhaps me, will touch you to let you know that you are not and are never alone. Or you can circle right back around to your seat. God hears those prayers as well. But I would ask that you would pray. I would ask that you would pray a very difficult prayer, <laughs> given our text today. God, am I a sheep or a goat? Maybe another prayer to pray is, God, teach me to love by teaching me that I am loved. Teach me to love. Now, you may say to yourself, I don't know if I qualify. I have done a terrible thing. I yelled at my kids when they wouldn't get ready on time today. Yep, you and 50 others today. You're welcome. If you know you need this grace, you are welcome. And I need it just as much as anybody else. Now, and when you come down, you may want to make a special trip down here to this bowl of water. If you'll just dip your fingers into this water, perhaps you too will be reminded that you belong amongst the baptized, the people with the mission, with the calling. If you need to be reminded, this bowl is here for you this morning. It was on the night that he was betrayed. Our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you, the God who bleeds. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. Later he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant and every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Man, I, I hope you will participate today because it's possible that somebody else's life is hanging in the balance. Might this grace that comes to you end up somewhere else?
all across the sanctuary right now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish and resource the people of God.